We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 398 of the Al Galdi podcast as, yes, we are closing in on episode 400 of the pod. It is Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. Hey, Carson Wentz is 1-0 as commander's quarterback and the guy who the commanders tried to trade for prior to trading for Carson, Russell Wilson. He now is 0-1 as Denver Broncos quarterback. Russell and the Broncos, a 17-16 loss at Russell's former team, the Seattle Seahawks, on Monday Night Football as the Broncos' first-year head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, on a fourth and five at the Seahawks' 46-yard line in the final minute of the fourth quarter, opted to have kicker Brandon McManus attempt a 64-yard field goal as opposed to having Russell Wilson try to make a play. That would be the same Russell Wilson for whom the Broncos traded two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, and three players. Uh, That would be the same Russell Wilson to whom the Broncos gave $124 million fully guaranteed at signing via a mega-money contract extension. Oh, by the way, uh, Brandon McManus missed that 64-yard field goal try. And so Carson Wentz 1-0, Russell Wilson 0-1. Hey, if we as Commanders fans can't be a little chesty right now, when exactly can we be chesty? Hello and welcome to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Speaking of quarterbacks, uh, Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott surgery on Monday afternoon for his uh, fractured right thumb. The belief is that he could be out for up to eight weeks. Uh, the commanders are at the Cowboys in week four. So no Dak for them boys when they host our commanders in week four. Cooper Rush is your Cowboys starting quarterback for now. But let us not get ahead of ourselves. One game at a time for the commanders, as the cliche goes. Uh, We on Monday morning had commanders head coach Ron Rivera's day after the game press conference of the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Ron provided a lot of detail and analysis on the win. And so what we're going to do on this installment of the podcast is go through various aspects of the win off what Ron had to say on Monday morning. Next segment, I'll talk commander's defense. And then after that, I'll talk commander's offense. I've got some additional stats and data from the win that I think you'll find interesting, including playing time percentages for commander's defensive players and some things about the performance of receiver Curtis Samuel that put his performance in perspective. Uh, I also will react to the bad news of Monday. Interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis being done for the season, and not surprising news given that he got carted off the field on Sunday afternoon, but certainly unfortunate news. Also, I will ponder the following. Uh, Could it be, might it be, that the offensive weapons on the 2022 Commanders are better than the offensive weapons on the last great Washington offense, the 2016 Redskins offense? I know. We're one game into the Commanders' 2022 regular season, but why not get a little excited? You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast 
at yahoo.com. Email from Rich on the Commander's win over the Jags, writes Rich. The Jags missed a field goal, dropped a touchdown pass, and were proving to be the better team. You're ahead. It's in the second half. Run the ball on second down. Carson Wentz throws it in the dirt. On third down, we go empty backfield. This allows the defense to not account for any possibility of the run or play action. Another incomplete pass. We took no time off the clock and put our struggling defense back on the field. That was the Jaguars. The Lions gave the Eagles all that they could handle. The Giants won at the Titans. We need to be a smarter team if we want to compete this year. Uh, well, thank you for the email, Rich. I did love the game that offensive coordinator Scott Turner called on Sunday afternoon. I thought that he called a great game. I was good with the play calling. As far as the commanders benefiting from some self-inflicted wounds from the Jags, uh, yeah, no doubt that was the case, uh, as was the fact that this was far from a clean win for the commanders. I mean, they lost the turnover battle 3-1 and yet still won the game. One of the most consistent determining factors in the outcomes of NFL games is the turnover battle. The commanders decisively lost the turnover battle on Sunday afternoon, and yet they won the game. But here's the thing, especially early in an NFL season, results of games matter a lot more than process within games. Like, don't get too caught up in process right now. The season is very young The commanders, like every other NFL team, are trying to find themselves, trying to figure out who and what exactly this 2022 version of the team is. A month from now, two months from now, we can really assess where the team is at from a process standpoint. And the process does matter, trust me. But for now, it's okay to just enjoy the win. Recognize that a number of things need to be corrected, but also recognize that what an NFL team is in week one is almost never what that team is in, say, week five or week eight or week 10. The 2022 commanders, like every other NFL team, are an evolving being. Uh, Email from Brent in Northeast DC on the commanders and on the nationals. Uh, Writes Brent, Feeling okay about Sunday's comms game. (laughs) Carson is the wild, wild west. You can strike gold, but you can also get scalped off your horse at any given time. I'll take it. We haven't gone downfield like that in so long. When's the last time a Redskins quarterback threw for four touchdowns at all? Uh, I write you, though, with a Nats thought. Have you had a look at Trey Turner's season to date? So much focus on losing Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, etc. Trey was the real prize and at a premium position, not a corner outfielder snagging pop-ups. Trey is on pace to hit 306 with 203 hits, 105 runs, 113 RBI, 23 home runs, 42 doubles, 28 steals at shortstop for the best team in baseball. This guy has a few more seasons like this, and he might put himself into a Cooperstown conversation. Should be a fun National League postseason to watch all of our former players, Trey on the Dodgers, Max on the Mets, Bryce on the Phils, Soto on the Padres. Uh, Thank you for the email, Brett. Yeah, you can also throw left fielder Kyle Schwarber of the Philadelphia Phillies into that mix. First baseman Josh Bell of the San Diego Padres into that mix. The MLB postseason is going to be a Nationals reunion tour. Uh, I'm very interested in seeing what happens with Trey Turner in free agency this coming offseason. Next season will be his age 30 season. One of the great lessons of the many failed mega money contracts in baseball is what I have said many times. Don't pay a guy in his 30s for what he did in his 20s. Trey Turner's free agency this coming offseason is the ultimate temptation of that. He is having another really good season. Heck, maybe the best season of his major league career. Trey Turner's wins above replacement for baseball reference entering Monday was a career-high tying 4.7, and we still have a few weeks left in the 2022 regular season. He's super athletic, and guys like that do tend to age well. So what do you do? Do you give him? a $200-plus-million-dollar mega-money contract? Uh, What if the cost to sign him is close to $300 million? How far should a team be willing to go to sign a player entering his 30s? It's a tough call because he is really good, but the lessons of these many, and I mean many, failed mega-money contracts in baseball 
are clear. And the lessons include don't pay a guy in his 30s for what he did in his 20s. Well, here's another lesson in life. Don't go with a real estate agent who can't get the job done. Uh, That's why if you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you got to get with Kellen Hunt. If you are on the hunt for a home in the D.C. area, get with Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sends you. If you want to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, but are unsure whether now is the time to buy a home, know this, now is the time. Uh, It has been a crazy last few months in real estate, no doubt, but as was detailed in the Washington Post recently, there right now is a real estate market shift taking place, giving the upper hand to buyers. The window for buying a home is opening. Uh, Buyers have faced crazy competition for homes over the last few years, oftentimes losing out on homes. Well, the rising mortgage rates mean that the market now is not as competitive and inventory is starting to rise. Uh, Houses are also sitting longer and we are starting to see price reductions, all good signs for buyers. Uh, Now is the time to capitalize on this. Visit closeitwithkel.com. That's closeitwithkel.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has his finger on the pulse of developments all around the Washington, D.C. area. He is a DMV native. He lives and breathes the culture of the area. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods and economical development and schools and market conditions and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And Kellen Hunt closes deals. He wins. He is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want, no matter your age, family situation, or financial situation. Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer. Get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell.com. CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book your call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit CloseItWithKell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Up next, I'm talking Commander's defense, including Ron Rivera's assessment on Monday morning on what went right for the defense and what went wrong for the defense in the week one win over the Jaguars at FedEx Field. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ratings and reviews help out the podcast a lot. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give this podcast a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review of the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. And thank you for doing the ratings and the reviews. Sunday was a glorious day. Uh, Thanks to the Commanders' regular season opening 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field. Monday, though, did include some bad Commanders news. Interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis, as expected, 
is done for the season. Uh, Mathis on Sunday afternoon suffered a left knee injury in the first quarter on the first snap of the Jags' second offensive drive. He was carted off the field. We on Monday afternoon had multiple reports that Mathis had suffered a torn left meniscus, and then the commanders later on Monday afternoon placed Mathis on the reserve injured list and signed unrestricted free agent interior defensive lineman Donovan Jeter to the 53-man roster. Uh, Jeter, this past April, was signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers as an undrafted free agent out of Michigan, but terrible news regarding Fedarian Mathis. Uh, the Commanders took Mathis in the second round of the 2022 NFL Draft out of Alabama. He was a player at Bama for five seasons, 2017 through 2021. He was expected to be a plug-and-play player for the Commanders. He was expected to be the team's number three interior defensive lineman and. Now his rookie season is done. Uh, the commanders already were lacking in obvious depth for the interior of the defensive line. Now they are really lacking in depth for the interior of the defensive line. Uh, head coach Rod Rivera on Monday morning did his day after the game press conference. So he spoke prior to the Federian Mathis news breaking, although Ron at the time may well have known that the Federian Mathis news was coming. But this was Ron even before the news broke on the commander's depth along the interior of the defensive line being tested? Well, you know, it, it really did because, um, you know, you t typically you don't want those tackles to play as much as they, they did. And one thing we did do is we did take um, F.A. Obata and use him inside as a three technique. In fact, F.A., I believe, lined up one time as, as the one. Um, but, you know, that's his versatility, and that, that's really his worth for us. That's, that's what, where you find value in players like that that can, you know, switch positions. Um, but, you know, going forward, we most certainly are looking at uh, an opportunity to bring in at least one de defensive tackle um, that, that we may put on the 53 and another defensive tackle we may put on practice squad. I mean, these are all options that we have to have. There, there's a, several names that we're looking at, young names, young guys. Um, guys that we think have opportunities to come in and, and help. Yeah, so the expectation was that the commanders would be signing at least one interior defensive lineman in the coming days, and now the commanders have signed an interior defensive lineman. Uh, also in that win over the Jags was another interior defensive lineman, Jonathan Allen, uh, suffering a groin injury late in the fourth quarter, but the belief on Monday continued to be that his injury isn't serious. In terms of playing time for Commander's defensive linemen in that win over the Jags, uh, John and Deron Payne played a lot, as you would expect. Uh, Deron Payne played on 79% of the Commander's defensive snaps, had a very good game, three quarterback hits, two pass defenses. John Allen played on 77% of the Commander's defensive snaps. Uh, the idea is to rotate the interior defensive linemen. I do wonder if Ron Rivera liked John and Duran playing as much as they did, although, of course, those two guys are the team's best interior defensive linemen. Uh, in terms of commander's edge defenders with Chase Young on uh, the reserve physically unable to perform list as he continues to recover from his torn right ACL uh, that he suffered in that win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last November 14th. So Montez Sweat on Sunday afternoon played on 73% of the commander's defensive snaps. James Smith-Williams, 53%. Casey Tuhill, 43%. And then two other defensive linemen to be aware of. Daniel Wise, played on 43% of the commander's defensive snaps, and F.A. Obata only played on 30% of the commander's defensive snaps. Kind of surprising given that Obata was one of the few significant free agent signings by the commanders in the 2022 offseason, and he is someone who has produced. Uh, the commanders on March 23rd announced the signing of Obata as an unrestricted free agent. He was born in Nigeria, entered the NFL through the NFL International Player Pathway Program. He, in 2018, became the first player from the program to make the 53-man roster of an NFL team by making the 53-man roster of, yes, the Carolina Panthers, who, of course, at the time had Ron Rivera as their head coach. Obata played for the Panthers from 2018 through 2020, then played for the Buffalo Bills in the 2021 season. And Obata has put up some numbers. Obata in the 2020 regular season for the Panthers over 16 games, five and a half sacks, 15 quarterback hits. Obata in the 2021 regular season for the Bills over 10 games, three and a half sacks, eight quarterback hits. But Obata on Sunday afternoon played less than the likes of James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, and Daniel Wise. Although Obata does offer versatility in that he can play both on the outside 
and on the inside. But going back to Federian Mathis being done for the season, how nice would it be for Washington to still have Matt Ioannidis or Tim Settle? I mean, I know this is hindsight, but you look at those two guys and you're like, gee, it would be nice if at least one of those guys was still here. Uh, The Commanders this past March 16th, hours before the start of the NFL's new league year at 4 p.m. Eastern, released Matt Ioannidis. And Tim Settle this past March signed an unrestricted free agent contract with the Buffalo Bills. Now, you look at the Ioannidis situation. He was not a fan of now former Commanders defensive line coach, Sam Mills III, so much so that Ioannidis reportedly wanted to be traded by Washington prior to the 2020 season. But of course, Sam Mills III now is gone. Uh, Ron Rivera on August 9th fired Mills and promoted assistant defensive line coach Jeff Scanina to defensive line coach. Uh, I do wonder if that had been done sooner, would Matt Ioannidis still be here? Uh, Something to think about. So the commander's defense in the win over the Jags was mixed. Uh, A bright spot was the commander's pass rush. Uh, While the commanders only totaled two sacks, the commanders also totaled 10 quarterback hits. And the commanders did this as best as we can tell without blitzing a ton. Here was Ron Rivera on Monday morning on the commanders in the win over the Jags generating pressure without having to blitz all that often. Well, if you're generating pressure with four, it's going to help your secondary because you don't have to blitz. You don't have to bring that extra guy. I think that's important. Um, really liked uh, a lot of the combinations that we had out there, too. I thought some of these guys really gave great effort. Uh, I thought some of the rush games were really good. Um, you know, two-man games, four-man games, um, you know, running stunts on both sides. That that really helped us, and I think our guys have gotten much better at it. I think their timing as, a, as individuals, working with other individuals, has become really good. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, that has to happen in coordinating the rush. It's not just the front four with the back seven, but the, the combination of guys that are working. If you're running a two-man game and one guy looks in too early, he gives it away. Well, I thought our guys acted it out pretty well. Um, I thought some of our three-man games where we, we, we drove with two guys and looped with the other, I thought that was pretty good. That came very close a couple times to hitting the quarterback. Uh, it did affect the throw because he did get in the, the quarterback's face a couple times. So there were a lot of things that really seemed to be coordinated well, and that's something we've got to continue to work on in practice. Um, I, I do think on Wednesday we had a really good one-on-one session with the, uh, with the O-line and D-line, and I think that kind of helped lead, lead to the way they played. Now, something that Ron Rivera has talked about previously with the defense is the importance of the pass rush and the pass coverage being in sync. Uh, Here was Ron Rivera on Monday morning on how he felt that the commander's defense did in terms of the pass rush and the pass coverage being in sync. I think there was a <clears throat> there was a stretch early on where it was really really good, and then I thought uh, later on we got into a little bit of lull as a team, and 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 that's something I got to get you know I got to get us out of that sooner. I, I really do. I mean when when you turn the ball over a couple of times and they score, you know we, we've we've got to we've got to be better than that, and and I got I got to make sure I'm on top of that. But you know I, I just. I, I just thought it, it went it went the way you want it to for the most part. Yeah, the Commanders' pass defense in the win over the Jags overall was good. Uh, the Commanders held the Jags to just 3 of 11 on third downs, held Jags quarterback Trevor Lawrence to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.55 and to a completion percentage of just 57.14. But the Commanders' secondary also was guilty of a lot of penalties, and there were some big give-ups, and there were some big plays that could have been made by the Jags, but were not. Uh, the Commanders' Top three corners on Sunday afternoon, of course, were William Jackson III, Kendall Fuller, and Benjamin St. Juice. Jackson played on 100% of the commander's defensive snaps. Fuller played on 100% of the commander's defensive snaps. The Juice, uh, he played on 87% of the commander's defensive snaps. By the way, I loved the play on which the Juice came in unblocked on a blitz and blasted Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Jaguar's second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt, the fourth snap of the drive. Benjamin St. Juice came in unblocked on a blitz and smashed <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, forcing him to commit a first and 10, 10 yard intentional grounding penalty. How'd you like that? How'd you like the juice on that play? I was wondering, can I get uh, a little more juice for the sandwich? You like the juice, eh? <laughs> Yeah, you know. The juice is good, eh? 
Yes, I like E, the juice. Benjamin St. Juice. But here was Ron Rivera on Monday morning on how he felt that the commander's top three corners played in the win over the Jags. Oh, I thought they played some good football. They did. I thought there were a couple times that, you know, early on they were a little cautious, but as the, as the game went on, you start to see their aggressive nature. Um, I appreciated some of the plays they made. I was a little concerned with, with a couple of calls. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with them all. But, you know, we just got to be aware and, and, be, and play smarter than that. Um, but, but I did like the way that they came up. They were physical. You know, we blitzed them a couple of times. Um, they got involved in the run game a couple of times and, 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 and threw their bodies in there to help make some tackles. So I thought they played pretty well. Yeah, the penalties on Commander's defensive backs on Sunday afternoon were a problem. Uh, the Commander's secondary was guilty of six total penalties, and there certainly were breakdowns in the secondary. Uh, Jaguar's third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out. Third snap of the drive, William Jackson the third got beat by receiver Marvin Jones Jr., but he was overthrown by Trevor Lawrence on a third and five deep shotgun incompletion. Uh, Rod Rivera on Monday morning on some of the breakdowns in coverage for the commander's secondary on Sunday afternoon. On the defensive side, we had a couple of coverages that we uh, we had a couple of um, of uh, banjo calls or in and out calls, whatever you want to call them, um, that we didn't get quite worked out as well as they, they needed to be. And and again, that, that'll happen right now. Early on, it's going to happen. And it's happening not just to us, but to everybody. Um, because of those things, you know, that's one of, one of the things that, you know, you when you go to three preseason games instead of four, there's one less opportunity to work. Well, speaking of working, uh, what was up with linebacker Jamin Davis being matched up with Jags receiver Kristen Kirk as often as Jamin was on Sunday afternoon? The results were not pretty for me commander's perspective. The Jaguars' sixth offensive drive resulted in the Trevor Lawrence third quarter second and goal three-yard under center play action boot touchdown pass to running back James Robinson to cut the commander's lead to 14-9. The fourth snap of that drive, Jamin Davis got beat by Kristen Kirk on a Trevor Lawrence first and 10, 13-yard shotgun completion to Kirk. Uh, The Jaguars' eighth offensive drive uh, resulted in kicker Riley Patterson's fourth quarter 45-yard field goal for a 15-14 Jags lead. The fourth snap of that drive, Jamin Davis beat by Kristen Kirk on a Trevor Lawrence second and 22, 17-yard shotgun completion to Kirk. Kristen Kirk finished the game with six receptions for 117 yards on 12 targets. It was interesting. Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference regarding Jamin Davis revealed that, quote, there was a couple mistakes he made that I know Jack wasn't happy about, end quote, uh, as in defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. Ron, during the postgame press conference, though, also conceded that the commanders can't let Jamin, quote, get ISOed on slot receivers, end quote. Uh, no, they cannot. And as painful as it was to see Jamin Davis trying to keep up with Christian Kirk, I think you have to say, like, why was Jamin Davis put in that position to begin with? You know, I don't think that Jamin Davis deserves to be hammered for not keeping up with Christian Kirk. I think Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio deserve to be not hammered necessarily, but at least criticized for, hey, why is Jamin Davis being ISOed on Christian Kirk? Here was Ron on Monday morning on Jamin Davis being matched up with a slot receiver in Christian Kirk, and whether that is something that the commanders can avoid. I mean, there were a couple of issues that came up that, that we can, you know, we can correct. And again, it's, it's one of those things that we're going to look at it by game plan, you know, knowing that, that hey, that's, some people think that that's, that's one thing they can try and exploit. Well, we've got to be able to have an answer to take that away and not allow them to exploit that. I will say that on one of them, you'd love to have seen Jamin stay more inside and, and force that guy to go up over the top. Uh, if he does, that makes it a tougher throw on the quarterback. You know, unfortunately, he, he didn't take the air out of that one, one particular one across the middle. Um, but, you know, with his ability to run and, and cover, you know, it's not that much of a mismatch if, if I think if, if he does his techniques the way he should. I mean, young man's got tremendous skill set. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a run-through tackler, and, you know, he's just got to understand that, hey, I've got to play to my leverage side, understand where my help is coming from. Well, know this about Jamin Davis in the win over the Jags. Uh, he played a lot, and David Mayo, in fact, did not play at all on defense. Uh, your playing time for Commanders linebackers in the game, Cole Holcomb played on 100% of the Commanders defensive snaps. Jamin Davis played on 93% of the Commanders defensive snaps, and that was it. 
Cole and Jamin were the only two linebackers who played on any commander's defensive snaps. Uh, David Mayo did not play on any of the commander's defensive snaps. John Bostic did not play on any of the commander's defensive snaps. Milo Eifler did not play on any of the commander's defensive snaps. The commanders just do not play linebackers a whole lot. And, you know, as we have discussed, maybe this is a chicken and egg thing, i.e. if the commanders had better linebackers, the commanders would play linebackers more often. But does that not stand out? Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis, that was it in terms of commanders linebackers who played on commanders defensive snaps on Sunday afternoon. Uh, The Commanders played most of the game with at least five defensive backs on the field. Corners William Jackson III, Kendall Fuller, and Benjamin St. Juice were on the field for most of the Commanders' defensive snaps. Same for safeties Bobby McCain and Derek Forrest. Uh, McCain played on 99% of the Commanders' defensive snaps. Forrest played on 96% of the Commanders' defensive snaps. We now know more about his terrific game. Uh, Derek Forrest earned the highest overall grade for Pro Football Focus, of any Commanders player in the game, 91.5. That is excellent. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Forrest in the game had an interception, another pass defense, and a forced fumble, and was tied for number two on the Commanders with five tackles. Going to be interesting, you know, presumably Cameron Curl will be able to play uh, this Sunday afternoon at the Detroit Lions at one. You know, we can't just assume that that's going to be the case, but I think there is a feeling that there is at least a decent likelihood that that'll be the case. Uh, Cam Curl was inactive for the win over the Jags due to a right thumb injury that he suffered in the 24-14 loss at the Kansas City Chiefs on August 20th in a preseason game at number two for the Commanders. So you think about this, it's like, okay, Derek Forrest looks so good this past Sunday afternoon. What are you going to do? Just like not play him? If Cameron Curl is back this coming Sunday afternoon, like, no, you've got to find snaps for Derek Forrest off what he did this past Sunday afternoon. And I'm not saying to have him play over Cameron Curl. What I am saying is have them both on the field at the same time. I mean, Derek Forrest, to me, has earned more playing time with how well he performed this past Sunday afternoon. You know, I've heard and read a lot of negativity with the commander's defense off its performance in the win over the Jags. As I have said, the performance was mixed. Uh, The good included the third down defense, the overall pass defense, and the pass rush. The bad included the run defense, the penalties by the secondary, and some of the issues in coverage. But as I and others have talked about on this podcast, in today's NFL, great dominant defense is almost impossible. You know, with the way that the game is officiated, with the offensive philosophies that now are prevalent in the game, great dominant defense is almost impossible. So I do think that people need to adjust what it is to play good defense. And this like fixation on the commander's defense not being dominant Good luck finding true dominant defense in today's NFL. Good defense in the NFL in 2022 is different than good defense in the NFL in 1992. You know, we in today's NFL are seeing a lot of points and a lot of yards. It's like inflation. A hundred bucks in 2022 is very different than a hundred bucks in 1992. 300 passing yards in 2022 is different than 300 passing yards in 1992. Now, all of that said, yes, the commander's defense can be better. Trust me, I'm not trying to like, you know, provide a pass for the commander's defense. The commander's defense can be better and should strive to be better. But I think it's important to understand the environment that we're in right now. Uh, But here was Ron Rivera on Monday morning on there being room for improvement for the commander's defense. Oh, I think there's still some things we can improve and get better at. Um, You know, a lot of things that that I know Jack and and the staff worked on this offseason, you know, are starting to come to fruition. Uh, It's not quite where we want it to be yet, but I I, I do think the guys most certainly played uh, well, and and I do think there is room for improvement, and and I'm really looking forward to when we all sit down and talk about it as as a staff. And the commander's defense could be tested in this Sunday afternoon's game at the Detroit Lions at one. Uh, yes, the Lions are well. Uh, the Lions, uh, they're coming off four consecutive double-digit loss regular seasons. The Lions, over the last 21 seasons, have had 14 double-digit loss regular seasons. Uh, the Lions in week one did lose and did lose at home, but the loss was a 38-35 loss 
to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Lions running backs DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams combined for 26 carries for 172 yards and three touchdowns, 6.62 yards per carry. The commander's run defense this Sunday needs to be better than the run defense was this past Sunday. Uh, the commanders in that win over the Jags allowed running backs Travis Etienne and James Robinson to combine for 15 carries for 113 yards and a touchdown, 7.53 yards per carry, and Robinson had a touchdown reception. Uh, well, we may hope that the commander's defense will stand up to the Lions, but we know that the law firm of Polson and Nace will stand up for you. Uh, if your health or the health of someone who you care about has been adversely affected by the negligence of someone else, know that the law firm of Polson and Nace is there for you. Polson and Nace will fight for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, just last month, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So we last segment talked commander's defense off head coach Rod Rivera's day after the game press conference on Monday morning off the commander's regular season opening 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Let's now talk commander's offense. Uh, of course, the number one item from the game was quarterback Carson Wentz, particularly his, uh, shall we say, wild fourth quarter. Two fourth quarter interceptions over back-to-back -back commander's offensive drives, followed by two tremendous fourth quarter touchdown passes over back-to-back -back commander's offensive drives. It's hard to remember another quarter for a Washington quarterback like that fourth quarter for Carson Wentz on Sunday afternoon. Forget about the game being the Carson Wentz experience in a nutshell. That quarter was the Carson Wentz experience in a nutshell. Uh, I, on Monday's show, episode 397, played the audio of Ron Rivera in the commander's victorious locker room at FedEx Field on Sunday, giving Carson a game ball. There was something that Carson said that stuck out to me in particular. Uh, let's see if that something sticks out to you. Here's the audio of Carson's speech to his teammates. Hey, I know it's been a wild off season for me, for all of us, but we have so much potential in this locker room. For us to go out and do the thing we did tonight, I know it looked rough for a second. Back-to-back -back passes thrown to the other team, that's on me. But that's the way we finish, and that's what good teams do. You find a way to win. It ain't always going to be pretty in this league. But you find a way to dig deep and get it done in the end, and that's what we did tonight. Good job. Yeah. All right, so what stood out to me as much as anything from Carson in that cut was him taking ownership of his two fourth quarter interceptions. Uh, I really liked him doing that. Quote, back-to-back -back passes thrown to the other team, that's on me. And quote, 
that is the kind of thing that endears a quarterback to his teammates. And that's also something that would seem to run contrary to this idea that Carson Wentz is, you know, a horrible teammate and a terrible leader. Unless, I guess, if you think that Carson was being a phony uh, when he said what he said right there. Anyway, take a listen to this from Ron Rivera on Monday morning on Carson Wentz. What I thought was really cool was, you know, in, in the, in the post game locker room uh, talk he gave about uh, he accepted responsibility right away saying, hey, I got to throw the ball better. You know, I can't, I can't do that. I think speaking up like that, I think his teammates hearing him take responsibility and ownership of his own play, that was huge. And, and so that's important, not just, you know, to, to, to me and the, his teammates, but to him. You know, and I think that was, that was huge. Yeah, and understand that Ron Rivera was not asked directly about Carson Wentz taking ownership of his two fourth quarter interceptions. Uh, Ron volunteered what he said right there. Ron said what he said right there unsolicited. And wasn't it interesting that Ron said that Carson in front of the team taking responsibility for his two fourth quarter interceptions was important, not just to Ron and Carson's teammates, but to Carson himself. Uh, my hope with Carson has been that the commanders are getting an awakened Carson Wentz. A Carson Wentz who realizes that this opportunity with the commanders uh, may be his last true shot at being an NFL team's true QB1. And so he's all in and he's focused and he's motivated and he's righting whatever wrongs that he has been guilty of in the past. And him in front of the team taking ownership of his two fourth quarter interceptions is yet another sign that the commanders might just have an awakened Carson Wentz, a new and improved Carson Wentz. We'll see. Time will tell. I mean, we are a mere one game into the commanders' 17 game regular season. So what about those two fourth quarter interceptions in the win over the Jags? Uh, Pick number one on the second snap of the fourth quarter. Carson Wentz on a second and eight at the commander's 39, stared down his intended receiver, Jahan Dotson, and fired a shotgun interception to corner Tyson Campbell. Pick number two on a first and 10 for the commanders at their 25. Carson Wentz on an under center play action pass attempt on the screen was picked off by edge defender Trayvon Walker. Carson off his play action fake spun around, did not see Walker, and Walker made a lunging pick with his arms outstretched. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on the two Carson Wentz fourth quarter interceptions. Well, I, I think the first one was, uh, you know, and, and, and based on what we saw watching the tape on the, the screen pass that got intercepted, um, it looked like the defender was, was actually in the wrong crease. Uh, at least that's what we're, we're looking at going, well, shouldn't he be rushing over here? But he came underneath and made a hell of a play. Um, so, you know, maybe if Carson sees him coming, he throws it into the ground as opposed to throwing it, trying to throw it to the back. I mean, that's that's the hard part about that play. The um, <clears throat> the interception on the out, it looked like he was going through his progression and and held a, a little longer on one spot and was a little bit late throwing it to the out. It's one of those things you tell him, hey, if you're going to hang on the guy, throw the ball to him. If not. You know, you've got to you, you know go a little bit quicker through your progression. I mean, that's something that I know um, Kenny and Scotty will talk with him about more so than 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 me commenting on it. Yeah, neither interception was good, but Carson Wentz's first pick, the pick to Tyson Campbell, was worse than Carson's second pick, the pick to Trayvon Walker. Uh, Walker on his pick made a really impressive play. You'd like for Carson to have felt Walker and not made that throw, but a big part of that pick was Trayvon Walker, the number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, uh, doing what a number one overall pick is supposed to do, and that is be a freak. Uh, Of course, it was Carson Wentz's response to those two fourth quarter interceptions in the win over the Jags that mattered the most. A fourth quarter, first and 10, 49-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to Terry McLaurin, who Carson hit in stride down the right sideline to cut the commander's deficit to 22-20. That play, by the way, had a completion probability of just 21% 
for the NFL's next-gen stats. And a 3-8, 24-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson with 146 left in the fourth quarter. That play had a completion probability of just 23.7% for the NFL's next-gen stats. And the Commanders then went for two, and Carson on the two-point conversion attempt connected on a shotgun play-action pass to J.D. McKissick for a 28-22 Commanders lead. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on who rallied the Commanders off Carson Wentz's two fourth-quarter interceptions. I think a lot of it really falls on the quarterback, you know, in terms of, of, of getting getting the ball distributed and uh, having somebody make a play. And, and, and you complete a big pass on third down, and all of a sudden there's some energy, and, you know, we start rolling. And then he throws the deep one to Terry, and, and you could see the uh, defense feed off and knowing we had to get the ball back. And the defense fell off of it very well. And, and so that energy sometimes created by playmakers. A guy makes a play, you know, a, a big conversion, a big throw. And next thing you know, we're off to the races. And, and, and credit to Scott on that one because when Scott made the play call, he told Carson, hey, take, take a long look at Terry. If he's there, throw it. Um, and, and that's exactly what happened. And that type of energy, that type of play, you know, really sparked it because in the second, uh, the the, uh, the pass rush really stepped up. You know, the guys played really stout at the line, limiting their their opportunities, and and we made a couple of plays. Yes, you did. Interesting to hear Ron Rivera reveal that offensive coordinator Scott Turner told Carson Wentz to take a long look at Terry McLaurin on the play call for the play. That resulted in Carson's 49-yard touchdown bomb to Terry. Now, with Terry, so he finished the game with just two receptions for 58 yards and a touchdown on four targets and playing on 90% of the commander's offensive snaps. Normally, if Terry McLaurin finishes a game with just two catches on four targets, we're all going nuts. Uh, But this time is different. A, the commander's won. B, the commander's passing offense was very effective. C, The Commanders have offensive weapons, the likes of which Washington has not had in years. I mean, to me, the last truly great offense that Washington had was the 2016 Redskins offense. Uh, Receivers Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson, and Jamison Crowder. Tight ends Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis. Running backs Chris Thompson, Fat Rob Kelly, and Matt Jones. Uh, The Skins finished the 2016 regular season number five in the NFL in total offense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Uh, It's funny, I can't remember who the Skins starting quarterback for that 2016 season was. Uh, Oh well, hopefully his name will come to me. Uh, But anyway, long way to go, but the potential exists for us to ultimately view the offensive weapons on the 2022 Commanders as being even better than the offensive weapons on the 2016 Redskins. I do believe that. Again, we're not there yet. Okay, we need to see a lot more, but I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that the offensive weaponry on the 2022 Commanders could end up proving to be better than the offensive weaponry on the 2016 Redskins. Rod Rivera on Monday morning on the Commanders having enough offensive weapons to where Terry McLaurin can only have two receptions, and yet the team can still have a big offensive game. Absolutely. It's taking a lot of the pressure off Terry, but there may be a game where we may come out and we may target Terry the first quarter four or five or six times, you know, and now all of a sudden they got to make an adjustment, do something different. Well, we see that. We'll go somewhere else. But it's, you know, it's really going to be by game plan as our offensive coaches watch our opponents and see the things that they do or they may do or they could do and they end up doing it. Then it'll dictate, you know, Scotty's call playing and how it goes, you know, in terms of attacking opponents. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do with this. And then we, you know, the big thing we got to do is continue to protect Carson as much as we can, just like we did. I mean, we gave up one sack, I believe it was. Um, and if we can continue to do that, you know, we have a chance. Yeah, and I really like what Rod Rivera said there. Essentially, each game is its own entity. Each game plan is opponent-specific. One week, Terry McLaurin may only have two receptions on four targets. And the next week, Terry may have 10 receptions on 12 targets. What was clear about the game plan this past Sunday afternoon was that receiver Curtis Samuel was a big part of the game plan. Uh, Curtis had eight receptions for 55 yards and a touchdown on 11 targets and had four carries for 17 yards and playing on 71% 
of the commander's offensive snaps. And according to ESPN, 48 of Curtis's 55 receiving yards were yak were yards after catch. Uh, Now, Curtis did have a drop, and he also did have a lost fumble on one of his carries. That is true. But he finished the game with 12 touches, eight receptions, and four carries. Curtis, for the entire 2021 regular season, had 10 touches, six receptions, and four carries in playing in just five of Washington's 17 games due to groin and hamstring injuries. Uh, Also, Curtis for the 2021 regular season totaled 84 offensive snaps. He, in just this win over the Jags, totaled 55 offensive snaps. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on whether the commander's offensive game plan on Sunday afternoon was to get Curtis Samuel the ball so much. I I think early on the, the the plan was to get the ball to him. Um, and to, to really kind of help set a tone. But once the success started to roll, I think Scott kind of continued to go to him. And then what it did eventually was it opened it up. Because if you look at it, you know, we had five different guys run the ball. We had 10 different guys have passes thrown to them. I mean, that's, you know, and I've talked about that. If we can spread it and keep it spread, it spreads the defense. And, and, and then we'll see some plays happen. We'll, you know, we'll be able to use the underneath passing game. Now they tighten it down. We can throw it over the top. I mean, those are the things that, that happen when you can spread the ball and, and they just don't focus in on one guy. Um, I think that was important. Yeah, I think that Ron Rivera is right about that. Uh, how about the commanders at tight end on Sunday afternoon? Uh, Logan Thomas was active off having been recovering from the torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus that he suffered in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders this past December 5th. Uh, Logan on Sunday afternoon, three receptions for 45 yards on six targets and playing on 62% of the commander's offensive snaps. Uh, John Bates had no receptions on one target in playing on 55% of the commander's offensive snaps. His lone target did result in a drop. Uh, Commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in a third quarter punt, the sixth snap of the drive. John Bates, a drop on a Carson Wentz third and two shotgun incompletion. Armani Rogers had one reception for 23 yards on one target in playing on 5% of the commander's offensive snaps. He played on a total of just four offensive snaps, but one of the snaps uh, resulted in a big-time play. Uh, Commander's first offensive drive, which resulted in the Carson Wentz first quarter, second and goal, three-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Curtis Samuel. Uh, The fourth snap of the drive, Carson, a first and 10, 23-yard under center play action completion to Armani Rodgers on a screen. Uh, And then Cole Turner, for the win over the Jags, was inactive. He was questionable for the game due to a hamstring injury. Rod Rivera on Monday morning on the commander's tight end group. Well, I'll say this. I think the tight end group is 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 really shaping up very nicely. You know, we got Logan returning, and he's still working his way through it. Um, you know, I thought John Bates was physical. You know, uh, he, he did miss a pass he should have caught, I think. Um, but, you know, those two guys are veteran guys that – are, are going to continue to settle in because they they uh, they missed training camp for the most part, um, but you watch the other young guys and you watch Armani and 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 his athleticism and I think it is a skill set that's going to going to going to go ahead and continue to develop well for us in terms of his ability to run catch the ball, um, and he, he's a try hard blocker he really is he he's a little light but he tries very hard and 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 sometimes all you need to do is get in the way. The other guy we're we're getting to see back on the football field be Cole Turner. You know, Cole had a good week last week. We we he, we probably could have played him if we needed to. But going into this, we felt one more week of, of, of preparation would be even better for him. So he's got a chance to play next week, but we'll see. We'll see what the combination of tight ends will be for us. There certainly seems to be a depth for the commanders at tight end, at receiver, at running back. That's very promising, like the kind of offensive depth that Washington has not had in a while. And I stress the word seems, you know, there certainly seems to be this good depth for the commanders. Uh, We're only through week one, so, you know, we cannot be certain of many things. Uh, Now, something that is notable about Carson Wentz's performance in the win over the Jags is that while he did throw for a lot of yards, he didn't throw deep as often as you may think. Carson threw for 313 yards, but per sport radar, only 143 of his 313 passing yards were completed air yards. Uh, 170 
of his 313 passing yards were yak, were yards after catch. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but the point is that there very much is another level that Carson and this commander's passing offense can get to in terms of throwing deep. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on Carson Wentz, not throwing deep more on Sunday afternoon. Well, there were opportunities he didn't take, but when he did take them, you know, he was he was he was pretty good at it. And it is something that I know that you know, as we continue to look at it and grow, and he develops that rapport with those receivers that you need. I think it can become a more effective tool for us. I mean, it, it was, you know, I think, just kind of the the start for us. Um, and we'll continue to evaluate and see it. And it's the same thing with the uh, defensive side. There, there are some things that we did, and I know. You know, Jack's gonna gonna have a couple ideas that that I think our guys are gonna you know continue to work on. You heard Ron Rivera mention Commanders defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. Something that Ron said during his postgame press conference on Sunday was how pleased he was with the work of Jack and offensive coordinator Scott Turner in the win over the Jags. Uh, here was Ron on Monday morning on what he specifically liked about the work of Jack and Scott on Sunday afternoon. Well, the biggest thing I said, <clears throat> more so than anything else, was was sticking to, to to the game plan, sticking to what we had worked on and practiced, and you know, I think not trying to force anything to happen. You know, the thing that I applaud Scott was, you know, we still threw the ball in a moment where a lot of people thought, well, maybe they should be they should be running it. But again, you know, if they're going to stack the line, we don't want to beat our head against a, a wall. But you know, sometimes discretion is a better part of valor, and and you take that, but. You know, just you know, the moxie in which he called plays, uh, the the way he handled the quarterback on the sideline, um, I thought that was really good. I really did. As far as Jack was concerned, I just loved how steady he was, how he stayed to it, how how he was engaged with the t- with the players, with the coaches on the sideline, and you know, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you want. And, and as I said, I thought Nate was very steady. You know, you uh, you know, you average, you, you have two punt returns, you average 22 yards on that, you know, basically saying that the offense has, there's one less first down the offense has to get, that's a big deal, you know, and, and, and again, we averaged 25 yards on kickoff returns. So, you know, that they, they were solid. I thought the coordinators really handled the, the day yesterday very well. Yeah, the Nate who Rod Rivera referenced is Commander Special Teams Coordinator Nate Katzer. Uh, receiver Dax Milne on Sunday afternoon was the Commander's primary punt returner and kickoff returner. Milne had two punt returns, a first quarter 13-yard punt return and a first quarter 9-yard punt return. So he did a really nice job on punt returns. Uh, Milne had two kickoff returns, a first quarter 24-yard kickoff return and a fourth quarter 20 yard kickoff return. But back to the commander's offense. I mean, let's bottom line this. The commanders in their win over the Jags scored 28 points, went 7 of 10 on third downs, and went 2 of 2 in the red zone. That's pretty good, okay? Not great, not spectacular, but pretty good. That's a lot better than what we have seen so often from Washington offenses in recent years. And this was even with the commanders on Sunday afternoon committing three turnovers. Rod Rivera on Monday morning on if what we saw from the commanders offense on Sunday afternoon is what Ron has always envisioned for his Washington offense. Well, I think that's closer to the things that we talked about with Scott. Yes. You know, again, um, you know, it's, you know, the excitement is as that tight end group continues to get healthier and, you know, and, and Logan gets a little bit more in tune with what we're doing and how we're doing it. Because, again, remember, he and John missed training camp, basically. Um, and those young guys continue to develop. That's going to be a pretty good position for us, I believe. And the running back position, you know, when Brian returns, is going to be a pretty good position for us. And we already know the wide receiver position is solid. So we have an opportunity to continue to work and spread the ball. We will. There is reason for excitement with this commander's offense. Uh, If you are feeling excited about what this commander's offense could be, you're not alone. I am with you. The potential is there for this to be a very good offense. Now, potential is one thing. Production is another. So the offense needs to produce. But Sunday afternoon's win over the Jags was a good start.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 399. Yes, one episode away from episode 400. Uh, we'll feature a special guest talking commanders, commanders analyst Mark Bullock, uh, who on his Substack does these terrific film breakdowns of the Commanders. Uh, Mark has conducted a thorough analysis of quarterback Carson Wentz's performance in the regular season opening 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. So we'll talk Carson and a lot more. Mark Bullock on Wednesday's installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Also on Wednesday's show, we'll discuss game one of round two of the 2022 Battle of the Beltways. Orioles at the Nationals Tuesday night at 7.05 in game one of a two-game series. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. I was wondering, can I get uh, a little more juice for the sandwich? You like the juice, eh? (laughs) Yeah, you know. The juice is good, eh? What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on Earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide-open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.